This is the Personal Profitability Podcast with Eric Rosenberg. Hey there, Profiteers. Welcome back for episode number 105 of the Personal Profitability Podcast. As always, I am your host, Eric Rosenberg, and today I am excited to welcome guest Matt Terrio. Now, Matt is a, is a really cool guy. I'm glad we got to meet and chat. His background is one unlike a bunch of others we've had on this show before. We've had a few that have had done well in real estate and then had a big failure and then do, when, when the Great Recession happened, rebuilt from there. But Matt actually took a rise and fall with another industry. His background after he left the military, uh, he was in Desert Storm. He went on and got into the record business and the music business, and he did incredibly well there. He built this thriving business. He was doing great. But then what happened to the record business? Downloads. So he ended up essentially having to restart from scratch because he didn't build his business in a way that he was really you're ready for that digital revolution. And he learned a lot along the way, and he shares it all with us in this awesome episode. It all starts right now on the Personal Profitability Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am here with the man of the hour, Matt Terrio. Are you ready to get profitable? Always ready, Eric. I love it. So you have a great roller coaster of a story, although I'm sure the fall part was not fun for you. <laughs> so you have a background with the military. You built a business that did not work out all that well in the long run because of technology. And then you rebounded and built a new business. So let's back up towards the beginning. How did you get into business in the, in the beginning? How did you become an entrepreneur? Right. Yeah. It's, it started, you know, probably six, seven years old with the, the lemonade stand and went into to middle school of buying candy at 7-Eleven and selling it at a markup at, at school. Went into pressing my own records and putting those in the back of my car and driving from store to store, putting my music on consignment. And I, I, I don't come from a, a, an entrepreneurial family. I don't know where it came from. It's just something that I've done for as long as I can remember. I mean, I had a paper route even. I don't even know if people know that people used to deliver papers to the doorstep. <laughs> but uh, Bill, that, I think, uh, Warren Buffett, I know, had a paper route. And I think Bill Gates might have too. So you're in good company oh, with that. Good company. Very good. Yeah, I was asked this question uh, you know, last week and I actually said paper route. And I was like, wow, I haven't said that word in probably 20 years. After I, I went into the Marine Corps, I, I dropped out of college and was kind of feeling uh, a little depressed and a little down on myself, thinking I was just going to be a bum. And I was like, well, if I join the military, I'll, at least I'll always have a roof over my head and I'll always have a meal in front of me. That was actually my 19-year-old my wisdom talking. So I did that, and when I got out of the Marine Corps, I spent probably the next 15 years in the music business. I dabbled a little bit before Marines and, and got wholeheartedly into it afterwards. Had a small hip-hop label, uh, had major label distribution with EMI, and did really well for, I don't know, close to 10 years. And when the digital download came along, turned that whole industry upside down. Within six months, I found myself bankrupt, and I found myself divorced, and I found myself bagging groceries. I went from a, a seven-figure year to $7 an hour and was like, wow, how did I end up here? I was 34 at the time. And after uh, blaming everybody 
and anybody and everything other than myself for six months, finally realized, wow, if, uh, it's going to be, it is up to me. No one is coming to rescue me. No one is coming to my aid. I have to get out there and take responsibility for where I am and take responsibility for where I want to go. And what I really missed most at that moment was my money. I missed my lifestyle from the music business. And so I just did a little bit of research, had some good advice, a good mentor kind of pointed me towards real estate, saying real estate, hey, that's the final frontier where the average person has a legitimate shot at creating real wealth. And I said, okay, I don't have a plan B. I have to learn something brand new. So it might as well be the one thing that's produced more wealth than anything else. So I dove in. I found this little book called uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You might have heard of it. And uh, I just really embraced the whole concept of passive income and embraced the whole idea of escaping the rat race, of getting your monthly passive income to exceed your monthly expenses. And that's where real financial independence came from, not having bazillion dollars in the bank. And I just went down that path and kind of followed the, that those instructions. And within three and a half years, I was able to get my passive income to exceed my monthly expenses. And then, uh, you know, everyone starts to wonder like, hey, weren't you just bagging groceries a little while ago? How are you playing golf on a Tuesday? <laughs> and so I had a lot of coffee meetings, a lot of lunch meetings, and a lot of people picking my brain, so to speak, and realized that, wow, maybe there's some demand out there for this and I could actually teach this as well. So here we are. And Epic Real Estate is the company. I've got a, a podcast. We're just going on our ninth year with the podcast. And we've got a, a how to do it yourself service, a done with you service, and a done for you service. And we're just firing away on all cylinders. I got nine employees now. I think I have five virtual assistants and having the time of my life. So that's where I am and how I got here. I love that story. Super cool. There's so many different pieces here to pick apart if we wanted mm -hmm. to focus on different things. So I'd love to jump back into the music days. So it sounds like you built quite a you know a successful little record label for yourself. What was it like working with you know, in the music industry in general and finding you know, artists to work with and then building that relationship with that giant company EMI? You know, I don't know if I was ever actually in the industry as most people know the industry. You know, I was uh, I start in high school. I was really big into break dancing. I was right in the in the beginning of when that wave was taking over, and so I was really big into that. And I just loved the music so much that we would dance to. And then I got more into the music than the dancing because my my talents were limited there. And uh, I uh, became a disc jockey. And then I got a drum machine to hook up with my turntables. And then I started mixing my own beats with the records. And then I started making my own records so I could have my records to mix. And I just got into that whole world. And my music industry in the beginning, like my music business was just making instrumental records for disc jockeys specifically. I did that very successfully for a couple years. And that just kind of got tired of instrumentals. Like I wanted to take that next step to hear myself on the radio. So I started within my network, I guess, my circle of friends. A lot of them were MCs, and so they started rapping on top of my music, and we started packaging that up, and we got recognized through all of the distribution that I was doing on my own. And we got recognized through EMI, and they gave us a deal and said, hey, we'll press your CDs for you, we'll pay for your records for you, and we'll distribute them all over the world for you. And I was like, wow, that sounds like something I'm down for. We never really changed. Like, I never went to the Grammys. We never really did make it onto the radio. I was never on MTV. It was just like, you know, we were in a little 
office building in, in Koreatown in, in Los Angeles. And, you know, it was myself and up to three or four of my friends at any one time. And we would just go and we'd, we'd make music uh, at night and we'd go out after the, the studio and, and promote at the clubs. We'd roll in at three or four in the morning and sleep till one o'clock in the afternoon and do it all over again. And that was my life for, for several years. And so that's what the, the music industry looked like for me. If you could go back, would you do it all the same? Yes, with the exception of one thing, maybe two things. The first thing that comes to mind is when you start making music, you start making it typically for the love of it and you're making the type of music that you like. When it becomes a business, all of a sudden you start to shift in making music that you think will sell. I wish I didn't do that back then. But you start getting responsibilities and now you got overhead and now you got employees and you have people depending on you for this revenue to come in. And, you know, I just didn't trust my instincts or, or my own taste or resources. I, I really kind of leveraged what I thought people would buy, even though we did well. I look back, I think we might have done even better if I didn't ha uh, make that compromise. So that's one thing. Second thing I wouldn't have done was or I would have done, I would have embraced change a little bit more. I mean, right now, in hindsight, it's crystal clear that the Internet is here to stay. But back then, nobody was really sure. And it sounds preposterous right now, especially if you were born in the last 20 years. It sounds preposterous to think that the Internet wouldn't stay because you don't really know life without the Internet. Um, but, uh, yeah, I wish I would embrace that a little bit more and not been so romantic about the music industry and just kind of threw in the towel and say, OK, I give up. It beat me. Wow, that's that's all you know, good and in, good insights and thoughts. So when you were building, when you built this company, you said you were doing like seven figures, and then all of a sudden, with the digital download, went to zero. Mm -hmm. um, I'm guessing through there, you weren't doing a ton of saving and storing money away, and that's part of what led to the worst yeah. of the downfall. What did your money look like during that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it came in and it went out as fast as it came in. I mean. We actually had magazines that we read. I mean, Source Magazine was a big magazine. Vibe Magazine was a big – but, you know, that was ten grand for a full-page ad. And so to sell the amount of records that we were selling, we had to constantly promote. So, you know, we'd make a hundred grand in a month, but, you know, we'd spend a hundred and five in promotion. And so that money went in and out, but I didn't care because it just seemed like it wasn't ever going to end and it was fun. And I didn't have to get up and set goals. I didn't have to have to-do lists. I didn't have to have like metrics and analytics. And I didn't have to do any of that. Like life just worked. And we had a, a really consistent formula. As long as we put a record out each month and we spent this amount of money here for retail promotion, this amount here for magazine promotion, and this amount to the DJ promotion, like it just always worked. Until one month, it didn't work as well. And we're like, hmm, we're scratching our head. Maybe we're slipping. Maybe we didn't put out a good record. Let's go ahead and we'll just wait till next month. We'll put out the next record and just kind of double down on it. And so we did double down on that plan and that budget, and it worked even less. The third month again, and, you know, in hindsight, it's crystal clear what was happening. But when you're right in it and it's not working, like we didn't have a clue as to what was going on. And in six months following that pattern, like we were bankrupt. What we didn't realize is is the advent of Napster. It was the first digital download vehicle. This was before iTunes was even ex in existence. 
And what had happened is like that, that independent crowd, that independent music crowd, whether it was hip hop, whether it was dance, whether it was independent rock, all that earthy underground music, that audience was so in tune to the technology first that they embraced that digital, digital download for music consumption before general population even knew what a download was. And that had a significant impact on all independent music. I could definitely see that. So, you know, the, so I know the industry changed and you were at rock bottom, it sounds like financially, and you got a job mm-hmm. bagging groceries. So what was that like? You're know, coming from running your own label to I need a job just to get paid. There was absolutely no demand for an out-of-work music entrepreneur because there were so many of us out there. I mean, in that year, Sony had laid off 10,000 people, and I think Universal Music had laid off 10,000 people twice. So there was a lot of people from the music industry looking for work. So any anything in the entertainment industry was totally off-limits. That wasn't going to happen. And I started looking at multi-level marketing and door-to-door sales, like all kinds of stuff. And fortunately, at that moment, in our neighborhood, the uh, grocery union, the, all the grocery employees, they went on strike. So my only opportunity was to cross the picket line. And that's what I did to, to work. And that's how I got into bagging groceries because it was the best thing I could find after about four or five months of searching. So what was the transition like? One of the hardest parts for property investing a lot of people come across is you need that big down payment which $7 an hour obviously didn't have the big down payment at that point. So how did you get from there to investing in your first uh, real estate property? Yeah, if you're going to buy and hold, you probably do need some sort of financial resource, whether that's your money or somebody else's, whether it's a bank or a friend or a family member. You're going to need that pretty much to hold property. But you can get in and you can flip property with minimal to no money, with no need for a credit score. And that's kind of what I fell into first was just flipping property, flipping contracts, um, buying low, selling high, and getting in and out before my money was ever a requirement in the transaction. So that's how I started. And then I said, uh, based off the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like you have to hold for this wealth thing to really work, for this financial independence thing to really work. So I... uh, had a formula, okay, I'm going to flip four and hold one, flip four and hold one, and did that for a while, flip three and hold one, flip three and hold one, and flip two and hold one, until I was just, you know, I was holding up over 100 units, and that's how I worked my way there. That's great. I love it. So were those in the beginning, was it like hard money loans? Was that what got you going? No, I was just, I would put a property under contract, and I would sell it before I was required to close on it. So I could use the end buyer's money to close my deal. <laughs> Very cool. I like that. It's creative. It's exciting. Yeah, and, and obviously it worked because here you are today with with, you know, with over 100 units. I think that's something a lot of people would, would dream of following in those footsteps. Anyone wants to connect with you if they want to learn more about what you do and what your company does, where should they go? Well, Eric, if they found you, they probably can find a podcast. And if you just search Epic Real Estate... Um, that's, that's our podcast. Like I said, we just started our ninth year. I think we are the number two real estate podcast. And if you just want to go to epicrealestateinvesting.com, the whole enchilada, that'll open up the actual iTunes app right on your phone. And you can just click the subscribe button that way. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today and sharing your story. I hope people learned a lot and then you can go and take action and build their own real estate portfolios. Awesome. Thank you, Eric. It was a pleasure being here. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. 
there is another one in the can, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you learned as much as I did. That was a fun one. I also want to share with you guys that I started something brand new over on YouTube. So you can listen to me on a podcast and watch me over there on your phone, your computer, wherever you want. Just head to youtube.com slash Eric Rosenberg. Yeah, that's my name. That's where my channel is. And you can find all these cool personal profitability videos, including a brand new series that comes out every Friday called Two Minute Money. So it doesn't take you that much time to listen. It's even shorter than this show. The longest episode so far is like three, four minutes long. So, okay, I lied. It's not always two minutes, but it's pretty darn close to it. And and they're great ways to, to learn um, quick tips and brush up your skills in personal finance. I have enough ideas listed out for that one for a full year and then some. So you can expect more very soon. Uh, head to youtube.com slash Eric Rosenberg to get going there. Please subscribe here and on YouTube. It's one of the biggest and best ways you can support me and personal profitability, and it doesn't cost you a cent. And yeah, it means the world to me. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you, as always, for sticking around till the end. And until next time, stay profitable. <laughs>